Hey everybody, this is ID Journey. Evan and I are going through our capstone and we're bringing in some professionals to talk about industrial design and the process and just so that Evan and I can get a, a better grasp on uh, what to do with this time that, we've, uh, that we have. So today we're talking with Ryan Dowd. He's a footwear designer. Um, he's done lots of projects with uh, companies like Polo and Wolverine. So we're really excited to have Ryan uh, on the show. We had uh, Ryan teach us for a footwear workshop at the International Center for Creativity uh, for four weeks in May. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be a part of this. All right. So, Ryan, uh, I think it would be really helpful for uh, everybody if you could just share your story of how you got into industrial design, kind of how you started out uh, as a kid drawing shoes. Um, like what inspired your passion for industrial design? Well, I was uh, probably a little bit like you guys when I was young. I, I loved drawing, and um, I drew. Uh, I, I my my grandmother's an artist, or was an artist. She passed away twenty years ago, and my uh, and she and my other grandmother was also an artist, not just not as talented. And they would both encourage me to to draw. So whenever I'd go over to their house and anything to do, my brother and I would be sitting at the kitchen table sketching. And um, my one grandmother was kind of harsh. <laughs> she would kind of critique what I was doing. And, um, uh, but the other grandmother, she would buy a uh, good marker and paper and, and pencils. And so I was always uh, uh, sketching when I was in my downtime. And then it became something that every Christmas or birthday I'd get stuff like that. And so I just was always drawing. But um, I would draw houses and cars and shoes. Uh, starting in like fifth grade, I started drawing shoes all the time. And um, and I'm blessed enough to be doing something that I, I dreamt about doing when I was a kid. So Ryan, you went, you're the second Purdue grad that we've interviewed. We've had two interviews, including you, and you also went to Purdue. So can you detail a little bit about your industrial design experience at Purdue? We all know you're, you know, a party monster in college, but <laughs> what was the scholastic side like? <laughs> well, so, so you, you had Grant on the, on the program and, um, and Grant's, uh, I think he's more typical uh, of a Purdue grad in that he is a, a hard goods guy. Um, Purdue tends to do really, really well with consumer goods and electronics and hard goods. And um, and it was that way when I was there. But I think the school, I think Grant is, uh, I think he graduated in what, the last five, seven years. Is that true? He graduated in 2018. So that's okay. that okay. about three years ago. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's a better school now, honestly, than what it was when I went there. Um, but uh, it's, it's oddly enough, uh, they had a professor there when I was there who was uh, just tremendously talented guy. And, and I, I, um, I always went his way. He was the head of the department when I was there. Um, he, he left. He retired probably five, five years after I graduated. But he kind of built the industrial design program at Purdue. Um, very, uh, you know, we, we had, much like your class, we had a wide range of talent and uh, passion for design. Uh, there were a couple people in there that clearly didn't really, they did they weren't like you guys that they, that this is what they wanted to do from when they were young, you know? Um, but for me, I was, I'm actually, uh, I was very square. I'm, uh, um, I'm, I don't know if you'd know it looking at me now, but I was, uh, I was 
I was very square in college, and um, I never I never drank before I was 21. Uh, so I I don't think I lived the typical uh, college lifestyle, even for a big public school. I, I that was not my thing. So um, I actually loved going to the co-rec and playing basketball during my time there. That was one of my favorite things. I my wife now also went to Purdue at the same time. Hung out with her a lot. Um, really formative time for us as a couple. Um, and I, and I, I really did like industrial design. Like I, I thought it was fun. It's, I think you guys talked about that in your first podcast where you just said, you know, what else, you know, what other job or major do you have where you just really enjoy the projects? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I mean, I talked to other people that are in accounting and engineering and, and, uh, you know, grown up jobs. Um, and I, I just, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I love getting ready to be a professional uh, years ago and um, and every time I would do something get a little bit better and put another um, another uh, skill into my into my uh, I guess bag of tricks I I felt like I was I was working towards something that was special so and I knew <laughs> the other thing I knew coming in that I had a lot to learn uh, just like you guys and um, I think you have to have passion to, to get better at design I don't I don't know if uh, I don't know if you can do it at half speed I know I can't Oh, well, did you find that like at that Purdue program, were there a lot of other people like you who were interested in soft goods? Did they all swing towards hard goods? There was hardly no one that was into soft goods when I was there. I mean, um, the when every time I would get an, a, a uh, an at-large project or a project where they said you can choose, I would choose footwear. Um, and, it, and it wasn't like I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a footwear designer, definitely. I really thought like... I just I, I didn't think I didn't think I'd land in footwear. I didn't think I'd be able to get a job in footwear right out of school. And the the you know sophomore junior year when Purdue's a little different, we start kind of talking about industrial design a little bit earlier. And so um, uh, I just I, I thought I thought I would probably end up in hard goods working for Delta Fawcett or Thompson Consumer Electronics. You know um, they both they both were in Central Indiana. I thought that'd be a good place to go and. Um, Delphi, which was, you know, one of the suppliers for GM was another one in central Indiana. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm blessed to have, uh, been able to do what I've done as long as I have, but I, I mean, it was, it was, you know, I did, I had dead reps though, you know, like I was, I was, this is what I was, was pointing at this is what I wanted to do. And my senior thesis was a 96 page paper about a basketball shoe. So, I mean... <laughs> I'm, this is this is you know I'm doing what I wanted to do, so it's a good. That's thing. awesome. Well, now you're now you are in the industry and you are surrounded by people that are passionate about the same things that you are. Um, so, do you get to share in that kind of enthusiasm? Uh, the you know 94 pages of writing on basketball shoes. Do you get to share that enthusiasm <laughs> with the people that you work with? Yeah. Do you mean do I get to do I get to talk to people about how I feel about the job? Is that what you mean, or do you mean like do they have a similar passion? Yeah. Like, do you find people that have similar passions to you? Well, I, I, so Norm, the, the the guy that you got to meet, who is uh, director at Wolverine. Norm and I are pretty similar in that we both really love what we do. It's obvious. I mean, um, he's a different personality type, but we both really, really do like what we're doing. Um, but. Um, uh, yeah, almost everybody that I've worked with professionally, you know, you can tell they like what they're doing. If they don't, they're not in it very long. It's it's always a mystery to me, though, honestly. When you when I get to when I'm around somebody who does not enjoy this job, it befuddles me. I'm like, it's uh, I, 
I don't know why you would want to leave this job. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing it a long time, and I still feel like there's still a lot left for me to do. Um, I think I'm at I'm at twenty almost twenty four years. I've been a shoe designer professionally, wow. and um, and uh, I still I still think that there's there's a lot to do. Whenever I hear about projects, opportunities, you know, whatever, somebody will reach out to me and say, "Hey, uh, does this sound good to you?" I always go through the mental exercise: what would that be like? And then I think, yeah, I think I could do that, and I think that'd be a fun thing to do, a little bit different than what I've done before. And yeah, I yeah, I, I love it, and. Um, I think most, I, 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 maybe I'm assuming, but I think most people that I, I'm around really do like doing it too. I know the, the tight team that I'm around do. Yeah. So, so you have been in industrial design for longer than Lane and I have been alive. So right. I, I imagine that the industry has changed quite a bit in that time. And you said you wrote 94 pages or 96 pages, whatever, a lot of pages yeah about your senior thesis, which, you know, is a little bit different than our capstone. What did that process look like? Because I know that while we have to do some writing and things like that for our capstone, we don't have to do anything like that. So what did that process look like? Well, so like Purdue was pretty loose on the, on the thesis portion. It was, it was one of your classes. Um, like it was a, I think it was a three credit hour class, the senior thesis project, probably like your capstone is. So it was credit class, but we were all kind of going our own direction, you know, doing stuff in the studio. And for me, I, I did a bunch of research because I was trying to find the answers to some problems. Like, uh, I don't mean to make this more important than it is, but, you know, like you hear sometimes people go into medicine because they're like, oh, they're trying to figure out how to solve a physical problem. Well, I'd busted my ankle a bunch of times playing basketball. Um, uh, I, I broke my ankle in high school and then I, can't, I degree three sprained my right and then I degree two sprained my left and I had lace-up uh, braces that I played in all the time. And I played multiple times a week in college uh, because of my height. You know, when you have this type of gift, you just you got to take <laughs> I'm 5'4 for the people out there listening. So, so, uh, but, but the problem that I had, honestly, is that because I'm 5'4, I was always jumping to try to get rebounds. Uh, some people were standing there maybe tipping away from me, you know, but I was going up to get the ball. Um, but I was trying to figure out, I talked to, I talked to doctors, I talked to, um, I talked to anybody that I could that had something to do with footwear or, uh, you know, like athletic trainers. And so there were a lot of interviews and me kind of, you know, trying to think, uh, of ways to solve the problem. I would say that the problem that I, the, the, the landing that I had on my problem, you know, you guys may find this with your capstone in a couple of years, you're like, yeah, I could have done it better. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the whole thing. I was like, it was good. It got my, you know, brain working and it, and it, um, and I think it showed passion for it too. When I interviewed at Puma, that was one of the pieces of my, you know, interview process. I showed them my my thesis and where I landed on it. But I'm like, man, um, this is what I said. One of your classmates or in the in the workshop, um, he did a, a capstone on footwear, and his his research was so darn good. It was much better than mine, um, in that he understood footwear building better than I did when I got done with mine. I may have understood. Um, physiology and anatomy a little bit more, but he understood footwear and terminology and production and those things. I was like, I was so impressed with the way he did that. Um, but I mean, I don't know where you guys are. You know, if you, I don't want to give away the the, the punchline for your for your for this whole podcast. But you know, I, I'm sure you guys are thinking a lot about what you're going to do. But you know, you keep in mind. I'm, I'm sure you guys are that as you as you go through your process, you know. 
you got to be passionate about whatever it is because it's it's kind of a long slog. I think yours is 10 weeks, is that right? Yeah, something like that. Well, if you count this podcast, it'll be about a year <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah. And that, well, it's, that's part of it. We want to be thorough about it. We want to kind of make sure that we don't leave any stone unturned. Yeah. And so what part, looking back at your project, I have two questions because I feel like they go hand in hand. What would have you done differently, and what did Puma like that got you a job with a pretty a pretty reputable company? Actually, they weren't reputable at the time. I would want to hear a little bit more about that as well. They, they were, yeah, yeah. We can talk about that. It was different. Yeah, go go ahead and just talk about like what problems uh, that you see now in your design and how you got the job at Puma and the evolution of Puma. Big answer, but I think it flows. No, that's okay. So so what I what I did is I was trying to stop ankle roll. And when I was thinking about it, the funny thing is my when I kept coming back to my problem I was trying to solve, like when I busted my ankles every time, it was me coming down on the top of somebody else's foot coming off a rebound every single time. And so uh, and the the injuries varied, but it hurt like hell every single time I'd do it. The um, the the longer term, and I don't know if you guys know this, when you when you sprain your ankle, um, your ligaments will stretch out and then they'll heal like about 20 or 30 percent so you have a lot of elongation of the soft tissue and then it will only come back like this far Mm. so the end result is you can be walking just at night with your friends which this happened to me i can think of this in college and i would just roll my ankle oh my god just walking yeah like i would just like my my ankles were so loose um and so um and i got so used to having the lace-up braces when i played basketball um, I never strengthened enough of it quick enough. Like I was waiting for everything kind of just to come back. Um, and I had a very good sports medicine doctor at Purdue um, who was actually Purdue's uh, football and basketball doctor at different times. And he explained the anatomy of what is happening. But the, the frustrating the, the thing that I was trying to solve, I was like, okay, can I stop myself from just rolling my ankle if I'm cutting? Like lateral moves. Because my ankles would roll. They were so weak. And... Um, and it was funny, like I didn't have any of those problems. And then I just had that problem all the time, all the time. Literally, I mean, and I don't know if you guys get into this, and this is something that you want to get into something very different very quickly with your podcast. And I don't know if the people out there know this, but one of the things I think you can brag about with, with your school is, is a, a Christian design school. Very interesting because you have a different sort of philosophy and, and things will come into your process. But I literally believe uh, it was miraculous that I stopped rolling my ankles because I was so worried about them. And I said, to, I, I just prayed. I said, God, take this away from me. I can't deal with this anymore. I was literally injuring myself doing nothing. I busted my ankle so many times seriously. And then I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to wear lace-up braces. I'm not going to wear you know, the, the big, thick plastic braces when it would get bad. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to play basketball and do what I love to do. And I did it. And then I didn't hurt my ankle for seven years. Wow. It was it was awesome, and I uh, thank God for that. I mean, um, I know that has nothing to do with the design process, but it was a very frustrating thing. So, okay, that's the first part of your question. Second part, and um, is about Puma. When I came into Puma, Puma was kind of reclaiming its um, a lot of the uh, licenses they had internationally. So Puma is based out of Germany. Um, the Dossler brothers, Adi Dossler and Rudolf Dossler, were the founders of Adidas and Puma, and. Um, uh, Puma is based out of Herzegovina, Germany. It used to be. That's where the, the headquarters were. I think they still have an office there, but I don't think that's technically their headquarters anymore. But they had sold off the brand. It had become a crap brand, a brand you would find at uh, Kmart and um, 
uh, really lousy retailers in America. Uh, it had been a very good brand even when, when I was young. Uh, my dad wore Puma uh, cleats to play softball, and I remember they were like some of the – I thought they were really cool shoes. And I actually ended up wearing his Pumas to play high school baseball, and I dyed them black. They were all white. I just thought they were really cool cleats. They are very basic but very cool. And um, uh, But Puma was trying to figure out how they could get respectability, and they bought back some licenses. One of them, they were trying to get the American market back, and they – uh, had an American headquarters in Brockton, Massachusetts. I was part of a small team that was hired. All of us were Midwestern educated. They wanted people that could uh, design product that could actually go into production, pretty simply. They didn't want artists. They didn't want um, pretty pictures. They wanted stuff that would solve problems. And I was like, yeah, that's that's me. Um, the reason I got hired, though, my the guy who hired me, he told me weeks after I started the job, he said, we could see that you were passionate about footwear because I literally had sketches from the time I was fifth grade on until college with it with, with coming to summation with my with my um uh senior thesis so you had many many years of of lots of footwear and um not a lot of pumas in there by the way. <laughs> in fact none there are no puma sketches because i would always sketch uh nike adidas there were some brooks in, in the late 80s uh, i think i told you guys about the Dominique Wilkins basketball shoe which i thought was really cool but i would always try to update an existing shoe that came out on the market that was what i did I did it over and over and over. So I had, like, I wouldn't, when I was younger, I drew, you know, like, you know, see, like, um, you know, an Air Jordan. But as I got older, I was like, that's boring to draw something somebody else has done. Let me design what I think might come next. Hmm. So, um, but the the cool thing about Puma was it was a great experience, small team. I got to be around international designers. They had a design office in uh, uh, in Munich and in Herzegonara, Germany. Um, I got uh, got to meet some amazing people. Many people that I worked with have been very successful, and then you have me on the outside who's <laughs> floundering my way through. So that's great. Well, what things like did you learn in that design process of? Uh, you know, interviewing and going around doing like mostly research for a research paper. How does that still influence the way that you design yeah. now? I mean, I think the pursuit of the right information is really important. Like if you're solving a problem. So I, I've designed products um, for things that I have never done. I, I designed early in my career. I had, um, I worked with uh, Brine and Cascade both. They're both lacrosse companies. Brine was bought by New Balance, I think, probably 10 or 12 years ago. Back then, they were an independent company. Cascade might be owned by New Balance as well, but they make helmets. And so one of the earliest problem-solving projects I had when I was a professional, something I'd never done was was designing um, uh, wrist guards, shoulder pads, helmets for lacrosse players. I'd never played a minute of lacrosse. So what I started doing is I started talking to people that played. I started talking to, you know, do, it was almost the same process, right? Interviewing people, talking. And then, of course, you guys know this, listening. Listening to what these people had to say, you know. What, what was wrong with the product they were doing? What could they do better? What could that company do better? Where was, what was the best product they had ever used? When I go to a shoe store right now, to this day, I will go in there. I will not tell them that I'm a shoe designer. And I'll say, hey. I'll tell you this, salesman. If if I come in and I say, I want this pair, whatever it is, if it's an Air Force One and you've got my size, what pair walks out of the store every time or, or the highest, you know, like just to see what's what's selling at that retailer, right? And you get some great answers. Sometimes salesmen are really, really smart and they're heady and they, 
understand the market and they understand the what they're actually selling. Some people are just selling based on color and you know trend and stuff like that. Um, but it's very interesting to to listen to people that are on the ground, right? I don't care where you are. You can find somebody who is an expert who might not be the expert you're actually thinking of. You know, like it could be somebody that's in sales, somebody who's in materials, somebody who actually plays a sport, somebody who's doing an activity. And when you guys are doing whatever, whatever you're designing, if you're designing something that's for fashion, it's still got a function, right? So you've got to come at the end and say, what problem am I solving? Even if it's, man, I want that person wants to look good when they go out at this time at night in this city. Okay, you can start building around that idea, right? So, um, asking questions and listening is, is yeah. Is so very it sounds important. like what you're saying is that, you know, even maybe if you do have some expertise on, uh, you know, the brief that you're working on, it can be really helpful to take a step back, put yourselves in the shoes of someone who is totally ignorant on the subject, and just listen to what people have to say about their experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I they can be ignorant, they can be smart. But they all have a different perspective than mm-hmm. you. I mean, to me, that's that's a that's a huge deal. Having someone that will add to your project because their perspective is different. I mean, I, I think that's that's a massive thing. Getting to work with you guys during your workshop in May, okay, was super important for me because I got to hear not only one perspective but fourteen different perspectives. Okay, you guys are younger than me. You guys are at coming at it from a different way. You know, everybody in that room had a different idea of what footwear should be, should look like, what, you know, um, what they want their product to be. I mean, I I think about you have people that are clearly trend-driven, people that are clearly function-driven, people that are really don't know what they're doing yet, right? You have you have, you have I just raised them, right? my hand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, but I loved I loved hearing what just people had to say. I would ask questions that were somewhat loaded. Maybe you guys didn't realize it, and I just wanted to hear. I just would put it put out there, okay, does anybody jump on this right away, right? Do they have like a passionate gut response for this? So. Well, something you said in your answer um, that made me think was that you said, uh, Puma saw that you had a passion for footwear design. And I've told you before <laughs> that I don't really have a huge passion for footwear design. My passion really is industrial design. And if someone was right. to look at my portfolio, they would see that I don't really at least yet have a certain field that I'm leaning into. And that's partially why I'm doing this podcast, why Lane and I are doing this podcast. We have our passions, but we mm. just love industrial design is a process every part of it that we don't want to just choose a field we're interested in and then design a solution for it so what are your thoughts on somebody that approaches a portfolio more as a way of showcasing like a plethora of skills versus just one um, focused passion or maybe it could be phrased how can someone show their passion for industrial design while having a very diverse, almost watered down in terms of topical portfolio? Well, I mean, my, my portfolio was five projects, okay? So footwear was one. Auto was one. Uh, I had a housewares, a kitchen uh, project. Um, boy, I'm trying to think of what the other two were. But I, I, could, I could literally go look at it. It's in my basement. Um, but 
Um, oh, I had a pencil sharpener that I thought was really a cool idea, but the problem is nobody uses pencils anymore. <laughs> oh, you had um, the media I, center. I, I had a couple, like the media center. Yes, there you go. That's it. There's the fifth. That one, one has always I stuck out with center. me, and I want to talk to you about that one later. Well, it was it was. I mean, you know, it it, it was so. Um, it was such a. Uh, it's it's dated. It's super dated, um, but it's also something that you're like, well, that's that's kind of a. Um, you could see the wheels turning, trying to solve mm-hmm. problems with the existing uh, parameters and constraints, right? Which is something you guys are going to have to do. Um, you're going to, I mean, you, I, I tried to hit you with that during that workshop. You know, there are just some constraints you have, whether it's brand equity or um, uh, color palettes or materials or these things that, that like that are being built around. Um, when you get into the professional, you know, get when you get a job. The parameters are a lot different than when you're doing a student project. You guys can shoot the moon right now, which yeah. is an awesome thing, right? The problem is when you shoot the moon, you know, you're just kind of the, the client you're trying to um, to satisfy is imaginary, right? There was one guy who did a capstone at at, at um, ICC who literally his client was his father-in-law or future father-in-law. And I thought that was an interesting project because I was like, okay, he's dealing with a specific person and he's trying to solve a problem. I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if he got there with his father-in-law. I don't think his father-in-law was like, yeah, he solved this problem. Everything's (laughs) perfect now. But he was trying to say, I want to make his life better, right? I thought that was cool. Um, So when you're looking at how you're trying to sell yourself, the thing that I would say over and over, and you guys heard me say this in the class, is... I want to see process. I want to see thought. Now, how do you show that process and thought? That's how that you are differentiated when you are interviewing for a job. It really is. Lots of people can draw really well. I guarantee you're going to – I'm not saying anything against you guys specifically. I could say it against myself. There are tons of people that can draw better yep. than you, right? You want to be able to draw. You want to be able to communicate. But you want to be able to show how you do it, Right. And show your personality through that whole thing too. I always, I always say, come up with a theme. You know that. See, so you're you're selling. You're showing how organized you are. You're showing how well thought you are through, for, from a holistic standpoint. You're showing specific skills. There are a lot of things you're doing as you're building your portfolio. The hard thing is you don't. You know, you want your portfolio to. You know, you want to be confident in it when you present it, when you send it off to people, when you talk to people about it. And you don't know if you're actually scratching an itch for that specific person across the table. Are they like, oh, I love it when people do this in their portfolio, right? Yeah. You can't satisfy everybody. You can't satisfy everybody. Go in there, make sure that you you know, you know, feel good about it. Well, that is really relevant to me right now because I just recently got an internship and the project that landed me the job, I think I might have gotten the job either way, but the one that stood out to the people that were reviewing my portfolio – was the footwear project. Um, I think I told you this already, Ryan, but yep, yep, they, awesome. they had seen my portfolio. And for me, my approach to my portfolio was very polished. I almost didn't want people, I didn't know how to show people my process because I personally don't think my process communicates well. But with this footwear project, the way that we presented that final deliverable, they were really impressed with, with the brief, with the way that um, we were communicating our project. And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but I never saw that. I didn't look at the footwear project as something that showcased a different set of skills. I just thought of it as another project. But they said, when I saw that, I knew that we could hire you. And that is, 
Well, that was, I mean, that's an example of supreme teaching. <laughs> no, but really, but Ryan, you've been my, you've been my mentor since I was like, you know, a sophomore, junior in high school. You've really taught me up in it. And, and so really you have, you can take credit for anything I do for the rest of my career now. Right. Right. You can, you can do that. Well, but then when you, but the problem is when you screw up, then I have to take credit for that too. <laughs> don't I? Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no, I, I would say that the big thing that you showed there is there was, there's a. I mean, and I don't know how far you go back there with your entire portfolio piece, but there is a thoroughness of process in that project specifically. Yeah. And if you, and I don't know if you went back and showed the stuff you did early, if you go stuff, the stuff you did early, you came a long way in that. I think that's important. But you really showed a very concise, thoughtful, wrapped up project at the end mm. too. And I think if they, I mean, and I don't know if you presented the brief with that. I did. It showed that you thought it showed that you thought through the brief. That probably mattered to them. These people are pretty analytical, you know, at this yeah. place. So it's ironic that you say you're not that passionate about footwear, but a footwear project helped you present that. There's a lesson yeah, in there. I think it makes right? all the difference. Number one, do your best when you're when you, Yeah, Lane. I mean, like if you're do the best when you when you're when you're trying to put your foot forward, there are gonna be projects you don't feel great about. You're like, oh man, I don't mm. really want to do this. Try to take it as a learning experience, because there's something Every project, I can remember projects I did in college, I just absolutely hated. And I was like, okay, these are going towards the, the bigger picture, you know. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, the good thing about this capstone is this is your, I mean, this is what, this is your choice. Well, that's a great position to be in. So. And the guy interviewing me made a me. really good point. He said, that's what separates us as industrial designers. I'm making what he say. He said, sound more dramatic than what he said, but this is the general idea yeah. of it. He said, that's what separates uh, industrial designers from graphic designers is the fact that we understand that there's a process on the back end. If you're, I'm not, I am probably going to do more work as a graphic designer as I go on, but it's just the visual, but industrial design needs to have an understanding of what it takes to get something into production, how it works with materials, everything like that. And he said, that's why they were comfortable with hiring me. And this isn't tooting my own horn. It was something that just industrial de design in general has to have a holistic approach at a problem. You can't just say, this looks good, do it for me. Yep. You have to know what it takes to get it done. Mm. Yeah, and I think that the yeah. brief serves as like a recipe that you start working with as you go through the process. And that's what, you know, eventually leads to the, the end product. And so having like a good recipe and having like constraints that are realistic, like the one that we were given for the footwear workshop, that was so crucial because that real very real brief is a good recipe for what good work ought to look like which is a product that solves a real problem in a real section of the market that people want to buy so i think it, it was a huge blessing to have yep, a brief yep. that was like really solid and, and gave us a good opportunity to have a good project yeah yeah well i mean that's a, to me it's a great learning process because i mean you guys are at such an advantage coming from where you're coming from um and I, I mean, Grant could probably tell you a different story than I do uh, coming out of Purdue. I, I didn't really have brief product to work on when I came out of Purdue. I, I, I had projects, but I didn't have briefs, you know, where, you know, like I had, we had a houseware project. We had some other stuff like that that were competition based. But to actually have a product brief from a company, you guys have dealt with it, what, four or five times already? Uh, it's probably been two, mm -hmm. two or three more. Okay. Okay, that's good. I mean, but two or three, that's two or three more than yeah. I had. I mean, I'm telling you, there is a big advantage in that in itself. So that's, uh, 
Yeah, that's 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 great, and I think that prepares you guys for what you're going into. Yeah, and I I think like what Evan experienced was that this project was like a really marketable project, and it was like something that people would see in a store and want to buy. Um, and obviously, like you've had lots of projects brought to market and ones that did really well. Um, so like whenever you're working with, uh, you know, a company, a huge part of, you know, their decision making process is, is this marketable? Does this fit the, the market that we're in? Um, so has, has the market changed over time? Have you seen it like drift one way or another? Have the things that like differentiated uh, successful products changed or have you found it to be like the same? Well, I mean, like, it depends on which category you're in. If you look at, you know, I showed you guys some sketches from when I was at Puma. Athletic has changed drastically, okay? Um, I really, if you look at stuff that was, that was working in the market in hiking 20, 25 years ago, it was relatively sim similar. Like, some things have changed, some detailing has changed, but there are some markets that move very slowly. Work boots. I mean, I, I am pretty edgy and far out with some of the stuff I do in work boots, but I'm not really that type of designer. Really, my old thing is I try to do something that, that is better than the previous mm. season, makes the, you know, the user's experience better. But um, some of the stuff that I've done for Wolverine, people that are in-house at Wolverine have said, okay, that stuff's faster and more athletic than what we're used to. I, I'm not – most of the time, by the time uh, a, a, foot, uh, a shoe that I have designed at Wolverine gets to market – it's been watered down pretty heavily just because they're like, we know our brand, and that's okay. I, I'm, I'm not begrudging anybody. But I, I've always thought my job at Wolverine specifically was to push that mm -hmm. brand, okay? I just thought, okay, this is what I do better than other people that have been on my team during the eight years I've worked with this brand um, is I am better at getting a little further out towards you know what's more modern, okay? Um, one big change in footwear, I would say, is – Construction has changed, and the consumer may not even understand what they're seeing. But no so stuff, you know, like if you look at, um, and that has affected hiking and outdoor a little bit, and even into work. But no so technology, having something that is a uh, a textile with a um, a TPU skin or a frame over the top, that's been a quantum leap forward. Um, that's very very different. Um, something that is coming that you guys have seen some brands have flirted with uh, 3D printing is going to change everything. I think it's coming relatively fast. I just don't know how people are going to implement it. It seems like two years ago, um, you had a flare-up with New Balance, Nike, uh, Under Armour. We're all doing 3D printing stuff, trying to bring it to market quickly. Um, but I think that's still going th – there are some advantages in 3D print specifically for underfoot technology that I think that can be implemented and, and really – really cool ways and make the product mm. better. You know, zoning the the way the product works. And this is something you guys, I'm sure, deal with when you're looking at a project. When you do a 3D print, if you're doing a protective piece, let's, let's say you're doing a helmet or a shoulder pad, you can zone that thing with 3D printing and make it say, okay, I want more protection in this area. I want less here. I want more flexibility here. That sort of thing. You can thicken the walls of that cellular structure that you're designing so it's tougher and so it's softer. I mean, that, that sort of thing, I think, is um, it's, it's going to make a huge difference in the next two to three years. Literally, there will be products coming out that will, will change things. There's one that I've seen a couple times um, because I've done protective and footwear and soft goods, meaning bags and uh, apparel. Um, 
But I saw a concept for, um, I believe it was Riddell. Um, it's a it's a helmet liner that they're doing. It's a three D print concept, and they're trying to stop concussions, like everybody mm-hmm. is, right? But they have a way of of decelerating the head and decelerating the impact, but at the same time making it very thin, right? You see some of these concussion preventing helmets; they're very thick. You know, they're they're ridiculous. You look like you're wearing a mushroom <laughs> on your head, or you're in mm-hmm. Mario Brothers or something, right? But that that sort of thing, those technological advances have probably made the biggest difference in the market as well. Mm. So that's yeah. a long answer. I, I hope I answered your question. I don't no, know if I did. I think you but, did. And yeah, go ahead. Well, like what you were saying with uh, Wolverine and your job there is like you feel like you're trying to push them forward, and I'm sure like it. It's also on their part to see what you're giving them and say, "Yeah, we see where this is going. We see that you want to push it in this direction." And like buy into that kind of thing. So how do you how do you encourage that buy in? Um, I mean, same way that you guys will do it is is telling the story, right? And that that storytelling can start right away when I present a sketch, right? From the first round, when I've got just a couple people on my team seeing it, I'm telling them why I think this is a good way to go, right? Trying to get them to buy in. I I do this all the time where I think. Really good brands, really good teams start selling a product before it ever gets to the marketing team, right? The the internal, they're all on the same page, right? And then they're going to, if you can grow that strength and say, hey, look, this is a really good idea. We should do this, right? So starting with selling the idea, communicating the idea, why this problem is being solved, why this is a better way to go than what is currently out there, then getting everybody on board. And then when you have your product presentation, which you guys, I mean, the critiques and things you deal with, those are real world skills, being able to handle some tough medicine every now and again, when somebody gives you something that you don't want to hear, those are good skills. You know, you're, you're learning a lot. I, I think as good designers, one of the best skills you have is just the ability to, to move on from rejection, right? I mean, it's really 70% of your job being rejected. And I, that's one thing, you know, we talk about how fun industrial design is, but at the same time, there are very few people that get rejected as much as we will in yeah. our careers. So maybe that's, um, so maybe that's the, the, the dark side of it. Um, but I think that's part of the reason many designers are confident people because they're like, okay, I've dealt, I've dealt with this before. I know I can get through it again. Yeah. And I, I, I heard something the other day and what I'm about to say is not going to be articulate at all, but basically the person that just has, Excellent. you know, the nine to five job but that they're just doing you know to pay the bills they're not really having much fun but there isn't any possibility of rejection it's like (laughs) the higher the mountain the lower the value that i just came up with that nobody's ever said that before um i just thought of (laughs) i'm joking (laughs) i'm joking around i'm joking like that's been said no but if you if you say if you say you know like if you're passionately putting in something it's like the whole idea of investment My wife and I talk about this all the time with our relationship. Okay, we've been married 22 years. Okay, <laughs> and um, and I always say you got to invest in your spouse. I always say to my wife, we need to invest in each other. We need to wake up every morning and say, you know, it's a lot like faith. This is a relationship you're investing in. Similarly, you have to have, if you if you invest passion in something. Okay, the bad thing is you're gonna have yeah. your heart broken. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's really what you're saying, right? That the, the, the opposite of the thing that makes whatever strongest probably also makes it weakest. Yeah. So if you have a very, if you have a very even keel relationship with someone where you don't 
invest your heart, invest your mind, invest your thought in that person, um, and you just kind of go along in this ho-hum relationship, you might be okay with them, yeah. right? You may be like, yeah, we've been fine for 20 years. Or you can say, man, I have the greatest spouse. I've got the greatest wife yeah. in the world, you know, because, you know, we we know each other. We get each other. We fought. We've, you know, cried. We've laughed, you know, we, you know, but, but also, I mean... You've been with someone a long time. They've also kicked you in the groin. You know? <laughs> maybe, maybe well, literally in certain relations. Well, my wife. she's married to you. There, she's a very special woman. Obviously, <laughs> right. right? She puts up with it. You know it. You know it. Um, and yeah, that happened to me this semester. Like, there was a project. I won't go into specifics, but my idea wasn't selected, right? And that really that hurt. But then I. I took that and transferred it over into the footwear project where if I, if that hadn't gone the way it had, I would have been really beat up again. But that's the thing about footwear or not footwear, industrial design. You just have to kind of channel that and bring it forward with you and just hope that you can take that and actually channel it to a better design in the future. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, how, what do you what do you do? That's again, this this comes back to your personality and anyone else there who's listening. Is when you when you get rejected because it's going to happen. What do you do with that information? Do you say, "Well, everybody else is stupid. Yeah, I'm great," you know, or do you say, "Hey, what what mm-hmm. can I do better?" You know, how can I, how can I get better? What what skills can I gain? What what did I learn from this? You clearly learned something. Number one, it's oh, stung. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. I mean, and th- that's the thing. You probably thought you probably went into it thinking pretty confidently. After the, you know, you presented your project, you still were confident, and then you didn't yeah. win, you, and that yeah. hurt, right? So um, it's a lousy feeling. We've all yeah. dealt with it. And I mean, yeah, it, it, and it made. Thankfully, we have some guardrails here. You know, with this project of ours, uh, we don't go through it blind, and we don't hopefully get too invested where you know advice from our advisors or from our peers, you know, can't steer us back in the right direction, but it's still on us to, you know, take that feedback and do, do something with it and make sure that, you know, we avoid the, the potholes and the, the mistakes. Yep. Yep. I know. This is, do you guys feel, I mean, do you feel pretty good about, uh, I, I know, like you said, you're, you're way ahead of this, but do you feel, um, you feel like you will be able to find something that will drive you for that 10 weeks. Oh, I think so. I do. Yeah. But okay, that that's good. actually the question I was going to ask. Um, you have a strong passion for footwear. And in college, you had you know a more diverse set of skills. But that in your heart, that was always the thing you're kind of drawn to just naturally. Right? Would you, would you say that? That or that yeah, or auto, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of similarity uh, similarities between the two, um, which we've discussed before. And Grant Stoller, yeah. his big passion was um, prosthetics, and his passion yeah. led him to have a very successful senior capstone. He won awards. Um, South Korea apparently is doing something with his design right now. And but That's both awesome. both of you approach the problem differently than Lane and I approach the pro are approaching the problem, and mm-hmm. it's not too late to change it. We're kind of approaching it in the sense of, you know, not going to just say, I like cars. I'm going to design a car. I'm going to find a problem along the way and solve the problem. We're kind of stepping back and say, let's let's find the problem first and then work for a solution. Is that is that wise? Is that is that unwise? 
Um, how? What do you think about that? I, I think I think it's I think it makes a lot more sense saying what's the problem I want to solve right away. I, I think it makes it a ton more. I mean, the, the reason I there are multiple reasons I think it makes more sense. Number one is if you just go and say like, yeah, I like I think cars are cars are pretty. Yeah. I want to make them prettier. I I don't know if that's much of a of a you know problem to solve. It's not very quantitative, you know. So my logic starts getting in there like, okay. This is going to be something that's super subjective, right? But if you say, you know, I'm not going to say, I don't want to lead your project. No, I do have an it, idea right it. away. No, like, but, we're trying uh, to get. Well, no, the, the thing, and I, and I may have talked to you about this, Evan, but one thing that I've thought that is, is, is missing right now, and you're seeing a couple like Canoe is doing this, but let's, let's obviously electric vehicles are a huge, um, the, it's a huge segment of the market. It's going to get bigger. The next two years are. I, I think they're pivotal for auto and uh, electric cars specifically. One thing I don't see enough of, I don't see enough of car manufacturers taking advantage of the fact that this car has some big advantages in the fact that it's just almost everything's below you, right? It's a skateboard, right? There's positives and negatives. I can think of like the mechanical linkage, the lack of feel of the car, which I'm bothered by a lot. Maybe that's Maybe that's a problem you could say, you know, how do we get back to the to the mechanical feel of the car, right? How how can you do that, right? But but the the advantages from a consumer standpoint, you can literally make this car completely different. Here, let me give you get let me give you a parallel. Another product that's near and dear to my heart. I love cameras. Okay, I I, I turn over cameras relatively quickly. I've had mine right now for a year, I think, which is an eternity <laughs> for me. A lot of times after I've had a camera six months, I'm starting to look for a next one. I don't shoot the moon. I don't go out and spend a ton of money. I'm always saying, okay, what can I do for a relatively low budget that will make whatever part of my photography better? Like, for instance, when I had my kids were young, they were babies. I wanted to make sure I could get a baby in motion in low light mm. with a camera, right? So you're like, okay, that's a specific problem I'm trying to solve, but I would look for that thing, okay? Now, the when digital cameras came out, right, a lot of cameras were still – they're making them to look like the old – SLR, single lens reflex, right? Well, now there's no mirror yeah. rotating. There's no film, right? There's tons of things you can do better than they're doing right now. But there's 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 also a discomfort from the consumer, right? They're like, ah, that doesn't look like a camera, mm. right? There's, I mean, so this is the this is the problem you guys have to solve. Regardless of what, if you do what I'm talking about, where you're saying, okay, take advantage of this new platform, this new technology, whatever, but still make it something the consumer actually wants to use. And that is the re that's, that's, that's the tough. reason why I, I've thought about uh, automobiles in general, and I've talked to you about this before, is the fact that they're kind of like a little mini ecosystem. They're they're like a living yeah. room on wheels. There's like interior design, there's furniture design, there's user interface design, automotive design. There's so much design in a car that it's a pretty good project to approach because, heck, you could do a whole project like a kid in our class did about just designing the dashboard to be something that prevents crashes. Or um, another student in the class designed a car for a movie, you know, and focused more on the way it looked. Uh, Tim is very talented, um, very good designer. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. and so that, that's what has drawn me to cars, uh, in the past and something in the car industry that I'm really curious about is what is the budget electric vehicle going to look like? Um, which I know is not fun, but you yourself, you kind of said that you're the, the, the 
best. I, I'm saying this. You didn't say this, but you're the best $100 shoe designer or whatever. <laughs> I, I like right, right. it's easy to design the flagship. I'm more curious about the consumer consumer model because you can design a car that's going to be in a movie and not really worry about any constraints. It's when you constrain yourself to how much can I strip away while still making it a good product. Yeah, no, I, and I don't know, I don't know if I ever told you this, maybe I did, Evan, at one point, but I had a, I, my design mentor um, was my first job, my, my first boss at Puma, um, he's now at Timberland, but he said to me after I designed a shoe that ended up being very, very uh, successful, um, he said, you have an ability to design a, he, I think he said 95 to $110 shoe, and detail it in a way that it looks better than it is and the consumer is attracted to it. He said this to me. And it didn't hurt my feelings at all because you know what? For, for Timberland, that's exactly what they needed to make money and to turn the lights on. And if you don't make a $100 waterproof hiking boot at Timberland mm. that's successful, you don't get to do all the other yeah. fun stuff, right? So, so similarly, the problem that you, you know, you're talking about solving, you know – Designing a new uh, Bugatti, I mean, shit, that's that's fun. It's you know, it's it's La La Land. You know, designing the new Knight Rider, that's cool. Tim can do it. I mean, like he's super talented, no doubt. Um, but designing a Knight Rider, you're like, okay, literally, you're dealing with stuff that you know it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. or it's you know, uh, limit limitless budget. You know, whatever you can do whatever you want. Now, conversely, going out and designing the next Civic, the electric yeah. Honda Civic, right? which I don't think there's an electric Honda Civic yet. But if you design that car, that's going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars for Honda that so many people are going to design are going to drive and then you're going to have think what the Civic does too. The Civic becomes whatever that consumer wants it to be. You have old boring people driving a Civic and you have teenagers who soup them up yeah. and make them fun. You have the SI and you have the base. But that car satisfies a mm. lot of needs, right? That's that's a great challenge. Designing a product like that, a tremendous challenge. And I think it's going to take that, like, having a designer who, who is aware that I can't just design something that's beautiful and awesome and amazing. I have to design something that's somewhat practical. That generally comes from experience, right? That person has been around. They know the tricks of the trade. They understand all the parts that are coming into this product, Right. It takes a lot of problem solving to get there, not just drawing an awesome, uh, you know, like <laughs> Evan and I talked, Wayne, a little bit about this idea saying, well, you can use the crutch regardless of what you guys do for your capstone. You could say, you could say, oh, that's uh, AI is going to solve that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Let's not yeah. use that crutch. How about that for a challenge for both of you guys? Don't <laughs> use that crutch. You know, it's um, do something that you can actually solve through uh, the study of, you know, uh, anthropometrics or, you know, like, you know, biomechanics, something that's real. How far does the human arm reach? You know, where what are the angles that I can mm. see? Those sort of things that are real, you know, I think that's that's a much a much better goal, and it will show the things that to, to come back to where we were earlier. It'll show your thought process. It'll show that you're thoughtful and that you're very aware of that end user. Yeah, and even if the user solving. can't perceive those like little details, uh, it makes a difference to them. And that's like that's the empathetic way to go too. Is to design for you know the ordinary people, the people who you know 
have right. honestly the the problems that you know stick out like a sore thumb to them and that you know get in their way all the time uh with you know ordinary cars uh or you know ordinary kitchenware whatever it is yeah i th- i think it's i mean I mean, it'd be fun to say, yeah, I'm going to design the, the next car that Floyd Mayweather will, yeah. will buy. Right. You know, or like, Logan like, Paul. Okay, he's got <laughs> tons of money. Yeah, Logan Paul. Somebody that just loves to go out and yeah. blow their money, you know, do stupid things, make entrances. Right. There's a problem there that you're solving, but it's probably not a problem that I want to be a well, part of it, solving. It also creates that. problems. You know, like, you know, consumerism is a huge issue yeah. in the United States. Yeah. And I know that yeah. sounds like the most college kid thing ever. But you know, I'm generally a like a pretty conservative guy. But you still see the importance of just making people's lives better by not adding more fluff, and just give them something good and pure in its intention and its design that isn't just man- manipulating those parts of you that say "ooh shiny" and you know and just want to buy it, and then you don't have a use for it two months from now. You talked about the you and I talked about this a couple times with mm. Apple product, right? Apple stacks yeah. its products now. And they have stacked – their products are overlapping so much worse than they ever have just because they've created a problem in that they've had a couple really successful products that nobody else was doing at that point. I mean I know I, I am aware that Apple tends to be a half step behind other brands, but they they package that thing in so much better of a, uh, a simple um, consumer-friendly way. Everybody wants that one, right? Yeah. So Apple does a really good job of finding these uh, niches, right? They did it, you know, it, it's, it's a combination of their software and their hardware. But to have, to have so many things on top of each other, like uh, you love it. You love the release of hardware, Evan. I know that. I don't know about you, <laughs> Lane, if that's a big deal for you. But, but I, I, I think that it's so ridiculous now to try to keep up with mm-hmm. Apple, right? You try, it's, it's like a job. And maybe you guys don't feel like it yet. Maybe you'll feel like it in like five years. I don't know, but I can tell you, I used to try to keep up like, okay, I got to update my computer every this many years. I got up my phone, update my phone every this many years, and I probably should get this other uh, whatever product, plug yeah. and play, you know, this other thing. And you've talked about goggles, you, or, you know, uh, you know, whatever, the yep. uh, glass, right? You, to me, like if we could, if you can offer, like I love the SE because you're saying, okay, hey. There's a consumer for this, less expensive, no frills, smaller phone. I keep saying to you, make products smaller. Everything keeps getting bigger. Bigger is better. Well, not yeah. necessarily. It's not necessarily better, right? Consolidate these darn things. Make the watch literally take the, you know, yeah. take the place of the phone. You know, I think we've gone backwards. They can do mm. that right now. They've got the size of processors and transistors and everything. They can do it right now. They can make the motherboard small enough that it can be attached to your to your wrist. You just opened up a can of worms for me because I have so many opinions on this. Did you see? <laughs> you may have to break up this podcast into might. two parts. Uh, I'll, I'll think about that. But have you looked into yeah. – well, did you see my uh, Mac 24-inch redesign that I put on Instagram the other day? Yeah, that was cool. It's cool. Super, super well, sleek. It, it, but my nice. thing there, it's – the problem I was looking at was people didn't like the chin. And then I heard people inside of Apple like, oh, the chin is, dis- chin is distinctive. That's our design. People recognize the chin, which I don't know right. if that's really a good thing, right. but whatever. It made them easy. They could, they could yeah. put more stuff in it, right? That was well, really the, the – But that, yeah, that whole thing, that. that's where the computer sat was in the chin. 
and the computer itself, Ooh. like the, all the components, everything was just 11 millimeters thick. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. But I'm like, why not put that in the stand? Because they had this, did you see the cable that powers the Mac? It's this really yeah, yeah. fancy woven magnetic cable you plug into the back that delivers power and 10 gigabit ethernet. It's insane. And I thought if you put right. the computer in the stand, you don't need to run that cord all the way up to the monitor. It just plugs in at the base. And I thought it'd be Thunderbolt four and boom, you're done. You don't need to de design that's over design. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of the critique I have of Apple is they get a little bit cute with it. <laughs> I think. This, this is the difference. This is the evolution of Apple uh, after yeah. Jobs. Post-Steve Jobs, Apple would not have done what, you, yeah. you know, what they just did. And they wouldn't have – there are so many things I think they just wouldn't have done. Jobs have been like, nope, not good enough. Mm. It's got to be more simple. And I, I know I, – I understand every – I've read about him. I've watched the movies. I know his personality was awful. I also know that he was so driven to make something that was more simple and more easy to understand – and I don't know if Apple is doing well, that. Well, and that's really the interesting anymore. interesting thing about Jobs is that he approached it from a marketing standpoint. You know, he knew how important it was mm -hmm. that the consumer, um, you know, understood the product product when they held it. And that's something that Johnny Ive, I, I read his book, and one of the things he was quoted for, like, good design. And I feel like this is more towards, like, physical product design, like, uh, more hardware design. But, like, good design shouldn't really be noticed. It, it should just be, like, interacted with. And I feel like that's very debatable. But it's something that I feel like once you start noticing, why is there a chin there? Why is there this? Once you start asking why for all this stuff on it, then it's not really serving its purpose. You're not enjoying the product for what it was designed for. You're not using a computer. You're right. looking at a computer. I don't know. I don't know. That that's I kind of lean towards the – I'm 100% on the side of Jobs. He understood that the consumer – the computer is an abstract thing. It is a black square that's inside of what you're using. Back in the old days, typewriter's a typewriter. You press it and you see the button actuate, right? But nowadays, mm -hmm. nobody has any understanding of what's happening inside, so they have to give them visual cues for that to happen. And I feel like in that, we're kind of in this phase of designers don't know what to do with technology. Mm. I, I, I think you're right. I think the big thing, though, that you, know, you talk about a typewriter button and it actuates... There's a lot of things that led to where we are between the typewriter and um, yeah. and the iMac, right? The the one thing that I think Mac did so darn well, and they started doing it before anybody else, is they they made it so you didn't even want to yeah. wonder what was happening behind, right? I mean, like they're just like, okay, I sit down yeah. and I do what I need to do. Well, said. that's that's pretty amazing. And you you and I were talking about um, this uh, via text. That I said, what a fantastic era we're living in that we can record something in a somewhat sloppy, cheap hey. way <laughs> of, of putting this side, we're, you know, and it's going to sound good. It's going to get this job done. My daughter made a um, she made a trailer for our vacation. We went on spring break together and she did this great video. And my son, of course, trying to discredit his little sister right away, says, she used a template. I was like, I don't give a damn if she used a template. She's 11 years old, and she just produced a movie trailer yeah. on her tablet. Crazy. And it looks great. And the fact that that was so easy for her to do, it looked awesome. Like I, I was like, she did a great job. I don't care how much was, was 
helped along by the software, she plugged in things and it was a yeah. personal piece at the end. That is so much different than it was a decade ago, 20 years ago, right? The problem that you guys have, I'll be really honest, the challenge you guys have being 20 years younger than me or whatever, is that everybody's going to think they can design mm. products soon because the software mm. is going to be that good. So this is something. This is a challenge you got in the longer view. I literally don't know if this is going to affect me that much other than maybe I'll have to retire <laughs> a few years earlier. But that, like you guys, though, are going to have to say, okay, what makes it different for a person who really knows how to solve a problem, think their way through a problem? You know, I think it's going to come down to the presentation of you as a commodity and your ability and what you've done in the past and how you've done that, right? Because there is going to be software that is going to anticipate your next step very soon. Like you're going to put stuff down. It's already happening. 3D modeling software is getting so much better so quickly that now you can do things without being all that great at 3D yeah. modeling software. You can make something that looks photorealistic. The lighting's better. The surfaces are better. All that stuff. So it's all coming in a hurry. And then the question is, how does a real designer show that they're really a designer? Or is this a good thing that everybody can now solve the problem? Uh I think it's a dangerous thing, right? It's it's it, we've seen this in a couple different places. Talk about cameras, talk about computers, talk about software. You know, like not everybody yeah, can well, design. Yeah. Not everybody should design. How how do we so. how do we make sure that we're doing that correctly? How do we make sure that we're thinking through the problem well as we're going through this design process and our capstone? How do we keep that in the forefront of our minds when we're you know three days deep into sketching variants on forms? Mm. I mean, I, I think it's going to come down to um, that, that question that you're answering, that uh, problem that you're solving. That's going to be, that should be in the forefront of everything you're doing. Um, and, I mean, you guys had people that you know that did their capstone, and it really was an exercise of, can I use this software and make something pretty? That yeah. was literally what they are trying to do, Right. There's a skill there. There's a, there's a portfolio piece there. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But I would say the better thing, for especially since it's a long project, would be solving a real problem and, and gaining that skill. So, um, yeah, I, I think keeping, keeping the question at hand in the forefront every single time with everything you do, you know, you're like, okay, um, what yeah. am I trying to solve? I think you need to be very, very aware of that. So, I don't know if I don't know if that answers that effectively. That's a good, very good question. Um, but uh, you've heard you. I mean, you guys heard in the in the footwear workshop some of the pro, the um, consumer goods that I have a problem with, and some of the types of designs that I have a problem with. But at the same time, my brother. Um, I don't know if I should bring that up. Well, okay, <laughs> my brother is my business partner. Okay. Um, it, we were business partners for 11 years. He's a graphic and product designer. He studied graphic design, became a product designer um, because he enjoyed it more than graphics. Um, and he, he's, he's always been somebody who could sketch his way through a problem. But, but one time he said something, and the reason I didn't want to talk about this because I don't want to offend anybody that, that I know. Um, one of your classmates is going to work for Crocs. I'm super excited that he's getting the chance to get his foot in the door. I don't like Crocs. I don't like the brand, not because of, you know, it's just to me, it's the exact opposite yeah. of the way I design footwear. I design footwear to, for them to fit really well, 
you know, bend in the right places, support in the right places. The original Crocs were just a piece of foam that was like covering your foot, right? And they were soft and squishy, which is fine. But I think the injury you can get from wearing a soft and squishy shoe, I may think about as a 45-year-old, you guys don't even realize you're doing yourself damage as you're wearing something that your foot's kind of wa- you know, wobbling around in. I know I sound like an old man. But my brother, the, the main thing that I want to share here, my brother said, there's a reason they call these things Crocs. That's a Croc <laughs> garbage, right? And the way, the way he and I have always designed product was solve that problem. And then I would get into it and I would think way too much. And then when that thing would come to the market, the consumer wouldn't think at all about how many problems we were solving when we were doing it. But that's okay. To me, that's all right. The consumer doesn't need to know that you poured over every part of that product. The consumer needs to know, okay, I bought something I really like and I'm happy with my purchase, that sort of thing. I would say the antithesis of that, though, is just saying, okay, I'm going to make something really pretty and it's going to be really striking. And I don't know if it solves any real need other than looking good there's obviously there are tons of people that have made their living designing stuff like that it's just that's not the way i want to do it that's all you know but look at me there are these people that have done it that way yeah. they're very wealthy <laughs> many of them have done really really well and i am uh toiling away and i'm continuing to work at 45 i'm not retired <laughs> yet <a> which, <laughs> darn nabbits i'm too i'm too old to be working well, still Ryan, as we wrap it up, one or two more questions are coming up, but what is one piece of wisdom that you think we should like take with us as we go through this um, process for our capstone um, that you haven't shared already that comes to mind? And if you have to think about it, no worries. What's one piece of wisdom that you got that I might be able to give you guys as, as, you get as ready we go, to go through your, your our capstone? capstone. Um, one something that we should keep in mind that we should uh, focus on as we go through the problem. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a. I'll say it to you guys here since it's on tape, but it's something that is still applicable. I told you that yeah. it's not your baby, okay? And so this is applicable here because you're going to be, let's say you're deep into your project and you find a new solution mm-hmm. to your problem that absolutely contradicts one of your solutions. I would challenge you at that point to say, let's make this thing better, right? If it's a legitimate research answer, like let's say you guys, you're, you're, it doesn't matter, you're, you're, you're designing a, a table, okay? And it's got a specific user at the end, whatever, and you've gone through, let's say, three weeks. And you're like, yeah, I think I got my direction. I know where I'm going. You're sketching. Maybe you're getting into modeling. You're starting to work out, you know, how the mechanisms work, whatever. And then you get that two weeks, and you're like, I think I got a better idea here that I might be able to do it. That's Mm. part of the process to me, right? To make it better. This is a long-term project, and I think that's going to happen. So the big thing is... Don't be complacent in this thing. Um, that said, yeah. don't waffle either. <laughs> so I don't know if that's wisdom. I mean, because you, 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 the one big takeaway I want you guys to have from me from that footwear workshop and the class we have in the fall is that regardless of what project you're doing, there's still a deadline. Yeah. Okay? You have, you have to reach that deadline. If you don't reach that deadline, you're a starving artist because you're going to not be working very long. Okay, so keep in mind you've got a deadline, but also at the same time, keep in mind you want to give the best possible solution. Manage your time really well 
I mean, I guess maybe that's the bigger takeaway is manage your time well um, and uh, uh, make sure your make sure the thing is is done well by the time you present it. You know, um, but make sure it's a process though too. I don't know how many times have you guys gotten a project where you're like, okay, you sketch, you put your pen to paper the first time you think you've solved the world's problem on hunger, right? You're like, oh, this is awesome. I know what I've done. I, this is great. Do, have you, done do you remember ever? this, Brian? The first time. When I was starting out with you, you probably don't even remember this. I remember I was sketching a headphone idea and you said, explore mm-hmm. more ideas. I'm like, well, I know what I want after the first sketch. Like, this is it. And you, you, no, but you, I don't you tore this, in, but, but I, like I, that's me. what I said. Then you tore into me. Then you tore into like, and it was great. And I'm so thankful for it because I think about that all the time because it's it, it's never your first idea. You think it's your first idea, and it's in the back of your mind while you're going through it. And maybe it does go back to your first idea at the end, but you never really regret exploring other ideas. No, no, and I think that's that's I think you hit on a profundity right there. Okay, even if you do go back to the first idea, yeah. at least you've hashed it out. Right. That 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 is so important to show. Okay. I didn't just say, okay, I've done it. To me, the egotism that you have if you say, yep, I, I, when I put my pen to paper, magic happens, and it's guaranteed success, and all I have to do is one time. Well, as a student, there's no way in hell that's yeah. true, honestly. You guys, you guys are good, you know, you, you're, good, you're good design students. You're students, though. So this process of learning your process yeah. really matters. Okay, it's really, really important. So go through the process. Do not cut the process short because you're like so confident that you've come up with the right answer right away. Okay, Um, you explored that, and I don't even remember. Did did you come back? Did you use that first? Um, So it was just with Bluetooth headphones. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I don't remember where we went with that project, but I remember that piece of wisdom that stuck with me ever since. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope I, I hope most of the time I'm consistent, if nothing else. I might not be right, but I will be consistent in the way I try to yeah. to guide and lead. The I, I generally think, I mean, like, as somebody who, um, especially, okay, working for a brand that I've worked for for a while, in a category that I've worked in a while, I can generally say, okay, I got the brief, I know it's in my head, I put it down, I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty good. This is what they're looking for. The problem you have is that if you don't present a couple concepts, you might be completely in a different place than your your uh, point on that project. The person who is in charge on that project, they may say, "Man, I love this over here because of this," but you're like, "Oh, but that?" And they're like, "No, no, no, this is it." And that's a weird thing. And then you can say, "Okay, I get where you're coming from." And if you ask that question again, now listening again, say, "Why? Why is that work? Why is that better?" You know, so. All right. Well, I guess that does it for this podcast. Ryan, I hope you enjoyed it. It was great. Great talking to you guys. You know, I enjoyed Absolutely. Uh, hanging out with so, you. So now this podcast is all over. I finally got it on iTunes, which is great. Got it on iHeartRadio, Spotify, all over the Excellent. place. Um, I'll probably be posting this on LinkedIn. But next week we have a cool guest. We have a doctor. Uh, I Not the medical kind but the marketing kind i don't know what their title is but he's going to be talking to us about the marketing side of industrial design so i'm pretty excited about that um lane will actually get to do it in person all the way over in uh, colorado springs 
So that'll be a pretty cool, cool interview next week. Yeah, that'll be awesome. But That's cool. Yeah. But thanks so much, Ryan, for coming on. Um, I'll I, I'll keep in touch. I'm sure Lane will as well. Um, but we really appreciate it. And who knows? Maybe we'll have you on again. Be good. Be good. And um, yeah, I don't. You're gonna have this podcast all the way through the school That's year. That's the correct? plan. It, That's the plan. That it's the pretty low intention? maintenance. It's pretty low maintenance overall. Um, Launchpad DM is a great site that I've been using to upload the podcast. So mm-hmm. it's all free and yeah, low hassle. Cool. Pretty pretty painless. Yeah, why not? Excellent. Why, why not, not? Right. Yeah, that's cool. Well, th- well, thanks for having me. It was fun, and um, I uh, I I look forward to uh, yeah, watching absolutely. the process. Up yeah, close tell too. your family, tell your friends, and uh, we'll be back very shortly with another episode. Peace. Mm-hmm.